the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, September the 13th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1788, Congress of the Confederation, they authorized the first national election and declared New York City the temporary national capital. Today in 1814, during the War of 1812, British naval forces began bombarding Fort McHenry in Baltimore. They were eventually driven back by American defenders in a battle that lasted until the following morning. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Yeah, that's when he wrote those words. Francis Scott Key. It's interesting. I divert just for a moment, but it's interesting how that Francis Scott Key and our national anthem, for sure, is always under assault by those who either are black or who claim to be standing for blacks. And yet Francis Scott Key, or Frank Key, as he was known, he was a very successful lawyer in the Washington, D.C. area and very well known and and liked by everyone. And by all accounts, yes, he came from a a family of wealth and they had slaves. And he had some, but he was an advocate and he was uh, freeing them during the course of his lifetime. But he was well-known, perhaps more well-known than writing this poem that became our national anthem later, for helping slaves. He was very humane. He freed them during his lifetime. But he, deserved, he had a reputation for providing free legal advice to any blacks or former slaves all through the Washington area. In fact, Reverend John T. Brooke was one of the most respected men in the Washington, D.C. area at that time and in the country, really, at that time. He said, if ever a man was a true friend to the African race, that man was Francis Scott Key. He said throughout his own region of the country, he was proverbial the, the colored man's friend. He was their standing, gratuitous advocate in courts of justice, pressing their rights to the extent of the law and ready to brave odium or even personal danger on their behalf. It's interesting how that people, when they get caught up in the emotion of riots and all of that kind of thing and marching against something, so often reporters will step up to them kids on the street are out there burning, looting, smashing, all the stuff that goes on. And they'll ask them, they'll say, what are you protesting? And they really don't know. They're just caught up in the spirit of it. But often they're caught up in the lie that's been presented to them. So these guys, when they kneel and turn their back, and particularly athletes, but others, on our national anthem are really turning their back on one of the best friends that the black community had during his lifetime, Frank Key, or Francis Scott Key. You don't hear that much in the news, but it's it's a fact. 
Today in 1990, the combination police courtroom drama Law and Order premiered on NBC. Today in 1997, funeral services held in Calcutta, India for Mother Teresa. And today in 2001, two days after the 9-11 terror attacks, the first few jetliners returned to the nation's skies. People were nervous, to say the least. Several major airports remained closed. Others opened. Some then closed briefly. There were still a lot of rumors. People were a little unsure as to where we are. There's still an overwhelming sense of nervousness, of concern, of fear, anxiety in our country today. Some of it is related still to 9-11. We saw that on full display over the weekend. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But I was reading, I read a lot of news this morning, and I was, as I do every morning, early. But I was looking, I saw an article just popped up about an hour ago from KTLA in Los Angeles. I know that station. I used to watch it quite a bit. It's an independent station then. I think it still is when we lived there. But they're they're announcing or or reporting. And again, I'm I'm just looking at this. It just came out a little while ago. Um, they're reporting that some San Fernando Valley voters think they are being wrongly prevented from casting a ballot in the upcoming gubernatorial recall election. I think most of us are aware of the recall election, Governor Newsom in California. And um, they're saying there's some problems <laughs> at the ballot box. Surprise, surprise. At, Al Cam- uh, at, at El Camino Real Charter School in Woodland Hills, they say, KTLA, um, some voters say they were told the computers showed them as already having voted, even though they had not. They say West Hills resident Estelle Bender, she's 88, she was far from the only person who was being told incorrectly that she had already voted. In addition to friends of hers who experienced the issue, two other women outside the polling place, Bender said that inside, she said the man standing next to me was arguing the same thing. She told KTLA this morning, just a little while ago, Bender said she filled out her provisional ballot But she said, I left very, very angry. Bender added that, to her knowledge, many of those affected by the issue are self-identified Republicans. And she's very suspicious, as well as very angry. She said, I I still don't know how I voted. The Los Angeles County Registrar Recorder's Office has weighed in on this, and they said they put out a statement that provisional ballots are (laughs) fail-safe. They're a fail-safe option to ensure that everyone's votes are counted. Once the eligibility of the voter is verified, the ballots are processed and counted, the statement said. People aren't buying that because they don't trust the officials. And there's a growing amount of evidence. And I'm not going to talk about that today, but I think it's something we need to revisit again. In Arizona, the recount, the effort continues. Those people, the Republicans in particularly in Maricopa County, where the recount is is taking place, have taken a beating from the press and the public, the left, over their wanting to verify this last election. 
they all, they're not trying to change it. They're just trying to give people some confidence or find the problem and remedy it. The people on the left don't want the voter irregularities remedied. I have come to that slowly, but I am fully 100% sure that there are deep, deep problems in our voting in America, not because Trump lost. It's bigger than that. I mean, he did, according to the vote count. I don't believe that 83 million people voted for Joe Biden. I'm absolute certain they would never vote for him again, not that many. There's all kinds of evidence in my own mind. You may see it differently, but in my own mind, there's all kinds of evidence that's mounting that we have a problem. Forget Trump, forget Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and put all the personalities out of it and take a look at it. If we don't have an election that is that we have confidence in, maybe there would never be an election with 100% you know, verifiable results. But, man, I think we're so far from that now, I think it's corrupt. And I wasn't saying that on this program. If you listen regularly, I, I wasn't there. I was saying, well, I mean, there's nothing perfect except Jesus Christ who walked on this earth. Everything else is imperfect. But I think this, I think there's a lot more to this. I'm slow to get involved in a lot of conspiracy theories because there's a ton of them out there. But I will tell you, I think this is way beyond any conspiracy theory. There is a very orchestrated, highly funded effort to control our elections, in my opinion. And I have read, <laughs> I've, I've read more, more in the last few years doing this program than I probably did in school and college, what I should have been reading more then, I, I suppose. But I am convinced that we have a problem. And as I said, we'll talk about more about that. And, and it isn't because, you know, the Republican lost and the Democrat won. Or it's, it's way bigger than that. It, it's about America. It's about our system. And if we don't have an election that the American people believe in, we have next to nothing politically left in our culture because that's what we're built on, we the people. And if we the people don't count, that's a problem. I'll tell you, the events of this weekend showcase the intense divide in America. America lives in two separate realities for the most part. Our country observed the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. I talked about that on Friday's program. Saturday it was it was remembered in a number of ways by a number of different people around the country. Former presidents gathered. Donald Trump went to a met with some firemen and some policemen in New York City. He didn't um, I didn't feel like he tried to intrude. They didn't invite him, of course. Uh, they never would. They did invite George W. Bush. He spoke at the Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I want to talk a little bit about what he said there because I think we need to know to be informed. But the former presidents, as they gathered, there was a camaraderie, and perhaps there should be. But George W. Bush leveraged the occasion to take a not very veiled shot at the Make America Great Again movement. 
comparing its most fervent ardents to the 9-11 terrorists. That was disappointing to me. I voted for George W. Bush. I would not vote for him again, probably. Again, not because he doesn't like Trump, but because I've seen a different George W. Bush than I recognized at the time. I'll leave it at that. But meanwhile, while this was going on across the country, stadiums with massive crowds of rowdy, unmasked college football fans, they tailgated, they had parties, they went to the stadiums. In fact, Ohio State had 100,000 people in the stands as Oregon, University of Oregon, beat them. And they weren't supposed to beat them, but they did. 100,000 fans in the stands. The same day... Divergence highlights the sharply divided nation that we are in 2021. Joe Biden was targeting many of those people with the few and halting comments he made. But George W. Bush, George W. Bush went where I never thought he would go in a public forum on a day of remembrance of 9-11. I was profoundly disappointed in George W. Bush. Steve Cordes with Newsmax, he wrote an article this morning in which he said, for a glimpse into just how starkly Biden purposely divides America with his unprecedented vaccine policy, it's important first to lay out two unmistakable truths of the current situation regarding the coronavirus. He's talking about how divided America is. Steve Cordes published this morning an article Real Clear Politics, which is kind of left-leaning, published the article. Cortes says, one, the vaccines proved quite effective at mollifying the effects of the disease upon the vulnerable, but were massively oversold as all-clear silver bullet elixirs. And number two, he said, given the vaccinated people can... Given that vaccinated people can still spread the virus, there's no moral obligation for anyone to be pressured into the jab especially for those of us who place a premium on personal uh, place a premium on personal freedom it's quite literally no one else's business he said once these realities are acknowledged a clear-eyed analysis of biden mandate reveals that his monarchical command flows not from a concern over public health but rather to compel pain and compliance from targeted populations of americans in fact even former surgeon general jerome adams Cordis writes, who has been consistently pro-vaccine and very friendly to the virus politics of Anthony Fauci and Biden, observed that the president's mandate speech was, quote, delivered to leave you feeling angry if vaccinated and ashamed if unvaccinated. He said it was a war speech, but the enemy wasn't the virus. It was your neighbor. Why does the left continue to push division while claiming they're trying to bring us together in unity. I think the 13 rules for radicals of Saul Alinsky speak to a lot of that. I've talked about that on this program before, but I want to just mention a couple of those. 13 rules. There's a book, and the book is 13 chapters, and the chapters are the rules. But the, the rules, I'm not going to go through all of them for the sake of time, but like number one is power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. Saul Alinsky was a radical. He was un-American. 
Hillary Clinton almost went to work for him. He offered her a job. She loved the guy. She almost worshipped him. Barack Obama taught his rules at a class at Harvard back in the day. Alinsky was a radical in the sense of fighting the establishment or whatever he perceived to be, no matter what it was. He didn't add merit to anything on the basis of what it was. It was he was just a radical that was a disruptor community organizer. And so it was always about creating an, an oppressed class so that you could attack what you would label as the celebrated class or the oppressors. One of the other rules of, for radicals of Saul Alinsky, he said, never go outside the expertise of your people. And then he said, make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. And that's how they attack Christians, of course. They say, well, the Bible says thou shalt not, and they go through all of it. Well, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They recognize that. And so they use that as a leverage against Christians to silence us so that we won't speak the truth about our Christianity in the marketplace because none of us live up to what we are taught in the Bible except in the grace of Jesus Christ. And they have very very deliberately used that against Christians, particularly on college campuses. I've dealt with that as a youth pastor. I've, I've, I've faced that down time and time again. They say, well, you guys, you know, you say this and they'll quote from the Bible and say, are you living up to that 100%? Well, no. That's why Jesus Christ died for our sins, because we are imperfect. But he came to justify us so that God sees us as just as though we have never sinned, because Christ took upon himself our sins. So they take this in a political sense, put aside the true theology of biblical Christianity and they point out that we're hypocrites because we claim the truth of God's word but they say we don't live up to it because we sin that's a tough one for kids particularly on college campuses or high school campuses for that matter but I think it is these rules these 13 rules the last one number 13 is pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. Do we see that happening in our culture today? Of course we do. You know we do. This weekend was rightly given to remembering 9-11, 2001. It's an unforgettable day in America. President Biden chose to use the day to promote diversity. He did. He didn't say much. Some of it was recorded. They played it on a screen. But he talked about diversity. Following former President George W. Bush's speech, Vice President Harris, she said on this 20th anniversary, we must challenge us all to look back because that will remind us that unity is possible. They're calling for unity, and yet everything they do is to divide. Cordes so wonderfully explained that in his article today showing how Biden is using this vaccine to divide America. They will choose any topic, any issue, to divide America while calling for unity. That's why I so deeply believe in my pastor's heart that we've got to take a stand for righteousness, including taking a stand 
in the culture. We've got to. Because if the pulpits are silent, if the Christian community is silent, there is no moral guidance in our culture. And we're not far from that right now because we have been silenced out of fear, out, out of being afraid to be ridiculed or whatever. Speaking of Shanksville, Pennsylvania, that's where passengers steered United Airlines Flight 93 into the field in Somerset County in 2001. Former President George W. Bush, he spoke about the threats that are posed by, quote, malign forces in our country. He said of 9-11, quote, the actions of the enemy revealed the spirit of a people, and we are proud of our wounded nation. In the aftermath of the, the attacks, he said he continued to lead a nation of amazing, united, and resilient people. For those too young to recall that clear September day, he said, I'm quoting him, it's hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. When it comes to unity of America, those days seem distant. He said, that's a quote. The first half of his remarks, he paid tribute to the lives lost and the character of America and so on. But then he pivoted. And that's my concern. Because even he is contributing now to this great divide in America. Or a complete acquiescence to the far left ideology that is being pushed in America. He said this, former President George W. Bush. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and those at home. In their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to befoul national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit. It is our continuing duty to confront them. Well, on first blush, if you're uninformed, you say, yeah, that's right, man. Those, I mean, Antifa, I mean, they're out there burning our cities, and they are. And you would say, of course, he was talking about Antifa and radicals that have been burning and looting and Seattle and Portland and all these cities around the country. Of course, that's what's going on here. But was he really talking about that? He continued. He said, quote, we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. A little more than six months ago, some of the growing tensions between the ordinary citizens here in America and the elite ruling class of career politicians, many of whom are corrupt, it boiled over regarding the integrity of the 2020 election. And they visited We the People's Capitol on January 6th. Do I think they should have done that? No, I, I don't, honestly. But much has been made of that, and it's been made into much more than it was. I mean, let's be honest. Social media exploded yesterday as people saw the connection in Bush's remarks. There was no, it was it was slightly veiled. Joe Kent, he's a retired Army Special For Forces from Washington State, chief warrant officer and a Republican who's running against Washington State's incumbent Congresswoman Jamie Herrera-Butler in the 3rd uh, District in this upcoming uh state primary. He said the only place Bush should be on 9-11 is answering to the American people for all his lies. Instead, he's showing us that the regime is not just one party. It's a ruling class that despises us and is not done exploiting us. As I said, he's a retired Army Special Forces Chief Warrant Officer. He was offended by that. 
Many others were. I don't have time to read all of it, but man, social media lit up with this. Act for America tweeted, there's no comparison between 9-11 and January 6, 2021. George W. Bush is an imbecile. Retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Rob um, Manis, he tweeted, I have personally overlooked many things from former President George W. Bush, but this comparison between Trump voters and the jihadists of 9-11 is an absolute disgrace. Disclosed TV, they're a a conservative group. They said now George W. Bush compares domestic extremists to Islamic terrorists in his 9-11 speech. They are children of the same foul spirit, and it's our continuing duty to confront them. Journalist Greg Price, he wrote, after 20 years of war on terror abroad, George Bush wants to now fight a new one against his fellow citizens. That was the way it was seen. Kurt Schlichter, who writes often for Town Hall and other conservative uh, news organizations, he said, Bush gave a speech on 9-11 today, and all I heard was that guys like me, who went to war under him and his father, were, were a terrorist threat to our country. Steve Cordes for whom, for Trump, he was a former Trump campaign senior advisor. He said, when Bush condemns domestic extremists, he's not talking about Antifa or radical BLM rioters. He's talking about the deplorables. He's talking about us. He said he also assails the very people he said to fight and die in the disastrous wars. He's the worst president ever. And I mean, even John McCain's daughter, and she has no love for Trump or the conservative right for sure but even his daughter megan she said i don't know what this is even designed to mean about bush's statement she said i don't know what this is even designed to mean other than to be incendiary on a dark anniversary dr sebastian gorka you've seen him on fox a lot he did work with the trump administration for a period of time he said i didn't think george w bush could disgrace himself any more than he already has I was wrong. But the liberals came out of the woodwork. The liberals swooned emotionally, according to Glenn Greenwall in his article. He said because they crave his war on terror, but just they want it unleashed domestically at their political opponents. He said it was ecstasy for the left and so on. And on and on it goes. President Joe Biden called Bush's speech really good. He said genuinely good speech about who we really are. Former President Bill Clinton thanked Bush for his powerful speech. He said, thank you, my friend, for your powerful and much-needed words on this difficult day. David Axelrod, who was very close to uh, Obama, in his, he said it was a wonderful speech. He said, we needed that. We needed to hear that, and so on, and on and on it goes. Thomas Jefferson spoke often of the importance of an informed citizenry. An educated citizenry, he said, is a vital requisite for our survival as a free people. There is a concerted effort against people being honestly informed as to what's happening and why it's happening. I have never seen it at this level in my lifetime, and I've been around a while. I'm I'm over 40 now. A well-informed citizenry is the best defense against tyranny, Jefferson has said. Satan's greatest task in the world is to keep God's people ignorant and uninformed concerning the truth of God's word and the truth about the culture in which they live. And that's why we're on every day, every morning, live. We originate.
to talk about God's truth in relation to the culture. Thank you for your support. We need it. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.